When wishes were horses and beggars could ride, in a stone castle by the sea there lived a rich land. How am I supposed to choose? There are so many. And so he left the trail, and he followed the sound of the music. I am the goat from the hills and the mountains. And when I have finished eating these herbs and these vegetables, then I shall eat you, too. Once upon a time, and welcome to the Story Story Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Ann Harding, and I have some stories for you. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. It will take you to long ago and far away and will bring you back safely. This week's stories are spooky and may have moments that are not suitable for younger listeners. If you are responsible for tender ears, you might want to listen first or forge ahead and enjoy the chills. I was once again walking in the dark streets towards home. In the waxing moonlight, the huge tortoise tabby followed me through the leaves, his feet crunching softly. The sound felt comforting, like a furry guardian pacing behind me. Then the crunching quickened. He darted ahead of me, ran a few feet, then paused and looked back. He took a few steps up a path that led to a small park behind some houses. I followed him. I mean, what could go wrong? He led me up a path made dark by trees still heavy with autumn leaves and the sharp smell of damp and decaying foliage. I followed close the flick of tail and soft pat, pat, pat of the cat ahead. I saw the shadows lift and the moonlight shimmered across the grass and I heard the sound of music. The first teller, Valentina Ortiz, is a storyteller, musician, writer, recording artist, teacher, and humanitarian. She considers herself a citizen of the world as she tells stories in English, Spanish, and French. Valentina is the magic of Mexican traditions with their music, native languages, and stories. Now, all of the stories of this episode go beneath the earth, and it seems that many stories warn against children playing with the folk of the earth. When I heard Valentina earlier this year telling this story, I said to myself, I need her on the podcast. Other people should hear these stories too. So here she is. This is Ateteus, Spirits of the Water. Maria, Maria, I have been yelling at my daughter all morning, but I can't find her. She's not in the house, she's not in the garden. Have you seen her? You know my Maria, the girl with the black tresses and the big eyes. She's always jumping, always running, always laughing. Oh, and she was wearing her nice new pink dress. She really likes it, but I can't find her. I let her go to the river. My grandmother said not to, because the spirits are there. Ha! I said. Oh, the spirits don't exist. But my Maria hasn't come home. Maria! Maria! Finally, she came into the house. But she was different. Her eyes, 
Her eyes are small, and she can't speak. She won't eat. Oh, I took her to the doctor immediately. He gave her some nice big red pills. And the next day, he gave her green pills and then the yellow pills. She has taken pills of all the colors. But my Maria cannot eat. She cannot move. She can't speak. Maybe, maybe my Maria is empty, just like my grandmother said. Maybe, maybe my grandmother is right. Maybe the ateteos do exist. My grandmother told me, Ay, hijita, no conoces a los ateteos. The ateteos. Why, they are the spirits of the water. Oh, small little people. With very nice faces, but their bodies, ooh, ugly, crooked, naked. They even have their feet the wrong way around. And their hair, it's all tangled and all dirty. But the ateteos really like the children. They love to play with them. Hijita, do you remember when you used to put the baby in the dark room so it could go to sleep? Well, did it go to sleep? No. It would laugh. Oh, a big, nice laughter. Well, there you go. The baby was playing with the ateteo. The problem is, the ateteos really get to care for the children. And so they decide to take them with them into the land of the water. But the ateteos are small, so they can't carry the child. So they leave the body behind. But they take out the soul. They take the soul with them. And they leave the child empty. And then the child dies. So you see, maybe, just maybe, my Maria is empty now. Tomorrow, tomorrow, I will go with my grandmother to the river and get my Maria back. Take her away from the Ateteos. We went. Yes, we went to the river. My grandmother and myself. With two big, long sticks, she told me to take them. And there, on the banks of the river, we hit the floor once, and another time, and another time, and we hit it, and hit it, and hit it, and hit it. And I screamed, Maria, Maria, all day long. But the Ateteos didn't give her back. When we went to the house, there was my child, with her empty eyes, all shriveled, with no movement. I'm going to go speak to Don Chon. Don Chon always knows what to do. He has traveled a lot. He has gone to all the different states of Mexico, even way to the north, to the United States. Don Chon explained to me. He explained that the Tzotziles from Chiapas know how to get into the land of the water. So tomorrow, I am going to go to the top of the hill. I went to the top of the hill, and there, kissy, 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 kissy. I got a little frog to jump on my hand, and I told the frog what I wanted. I want a hole in the earth so I can look into the land of the water, because the land of the water is in every big mountain that you see. And the frog made the hole. And I kneeled and looked into the hole. Oh, there it was. Oh, it was so green, 
so wet, so beautiful. On each leaf, you could see the drop of water and a little river over there. And you could see the rain falling. Oh, but I remembered my Maria. That's why I was there. So I put my mouth to the hole and started yelling, Maria, Maria. I decided to sing her favorite song. Maria, mi amor, aquí estoy, Maria. I yelled for hours and hours. And suddenly, a voice, a voice came out of the river, the river that was right next to me. And the voice said, do you really want your daughter back? And I said, why, of course, my Maria, I love her. She is my only child. She is beautiful. She is my life. And so the river said to me again, are you sure? And I said, yes, I want my daughter. So the river opened up. It split in two. And I knew, I knew I had to walk in. I walked into the river and oh, oh, there I was in the middle of the land of the water, in the middle of the land of abundance, the trees, big, big trees with delicious fruit and the maize, the corn, tall corn. And next to the path were all the little leaves, the gelites, pumpkins over there, the flowers. I just kept walking and walking. And suddenly, in front of me, was a big, big meadow, a beautiful meadow. Oh, but what was really lovely was what was in the meadow. Yes, there were the children. A lot of children. They were running, they were laughing, they were playing, they were screaming, they were singing. And in the middle of all those children, yes, there she was, my Maria. She turned around, she looked at me, and she ran straight into my arms. Oh, we held each other so, so, so deliciously. She laughed. That was my real Maria, with her big, bright eyes. Oh, but then I remembered we had to get out of there. I took her hand and said, Vámonos, chamaca, camínele. And we started walking and walking and walking. I had to find a way out. Suddenly we were hungry. And all those delicious fruits were just hanging there. I was just about going to... No, I knew. I knew that if we ate one single thing from the land of the water, we would stay there forever. So I just kept on walking and walking. Caminele, chamaca, caminele, tú puedes. Till we finally got to a big rock. And on top of the rock was a little ray of light. I knew we just had to climb it. So we climbed and I pushed my Maria up. And then we climbed again and I pushed her up. And suddenly we were in the light. And then we fell. We fell flat on our stomachs, hmm. on a dry land. There were rocks. We turned around and we looked up and there was a sky. Actually, I sort of recognized the place. Yes, we were sitting on top of the hill, at the highest point of the hill, the place where we never go. 
Because that is where our grandfathers and our great-grandfathers used to sing to the god of the water, to Tlaloc. They used to sing and dance there. I looked around and saw my Maria. Oh, she was smiling. She was looking at me. She was so alive. So immediately, I took her hand and said, Vámonos, chamaca, and we ran and ran and ran and ran and ran straight to our house, straight to the town. Soon we saw the little town. Those ten little huts were so beautiful. Hey, but my hut, my hut had no smoke, no smoke coming out of it. Then I got mad because in the morning I left enough, enough wood for the fire to be lit all day long. And I was hungry. I wanted to get there and cook some tortillas. But well, we went into the house. And there, I knew something was really wrong. Everything was broken. Everything was full of dust. So I ran out of there and I went to my neighbor's house, to my comadre Juana. She is my best friend. And just before we got to the house, a big dog a black dog. Hey, that's the dog I gave her. But that dog started barking at us. Oh, he barked so loud and he showed his terrible teeth. So we just stayed there. And I said, my comadre Juana will come out and she will save us. And yes, Juana came out. But again, the strangest thing. Instead of greeting us and taking her dog away, no. She started to yell. And she started to pray, Ave Maria Santísima, Purísima, Madre Mía. And then she started to cry. And then finally she calmed down. And she looked straight into my eyes and said, Comadre, you are alive. And then she did the strangest thing. She pinched my cheek. And I said, Oiga, Comadre, ¿qué le pasa? And Juana explained, Comadrita, you have been gone for one year. We thought you were dead, you and your daughter. My life is sort of getting back to normal. Well, at least the people don't yell and start praying every time they see us. My daughter is beautiful. My life is... is... well, I'm not the same anymore. You know, I really miss... I really miss... The land of water. It is so beautiful. It is so... It smells so wonderful. So, well, once a year, on the day of San Juan, I go up there. I go up to the hill and... Kichi, 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 call the frog, ask her to make a little hole. And then I look into the hole. And I look there, and I see the land of abundance with all its green and all its water and all its beauties. And when I do that, I always take with me a pot full of chicken with mole, a pot full of rice, a glass of pulque, and a package of cigarettes. And I leave it there around the hole, just in case. Maybe a nateteo, maybe a spirit of the water wants to come up from the hole and try all the wonders I took. Because you know, us humans also can make nice things. And I really hope that the Ateteos one day will try them.
Today's fairy tale sponsor is Granny's Rocks. Tired of trying to use sand to decorate your garden? Are leaves not heavy enough to put in the sleeping wolf's belly? Get yourself Granny's Rocks. These stones will look natural in your garden and weigh down that pesky wolf who can somehow sleep through open stomach surgery. Granny's Rocks. Whether you're decorating your garden or filling a wolf's belly, we've got the right rocks for you. Did you know that all the patrons of the podcast are patrons of the arts? You can be as well for as little as $4 a month. A big thank you to all the patrons who make this podcast possible. If you want to hear me make up facts about you, then maybe you should become a supporter too. It would be pretty cool. The cat stepped boldly into the moonlight, but I was not so quick to follow as shimmering figures moved in the clearing. I stood in the shadow and watched, beginning to see the shapes as people in old fancy dress, each partnered up and moving to the music with precise steps. As my eyes adjusted, I noticed their faces, lit in smiles that did not touch their eyes. The smiles looked almost like grimaces, plastered across their faces as they twirled and bobbed to the sounds. I was searching among their feet for any sign of my feline guide when two silvery shoes floated in front of my view. I looked up to see the shadow of a man's face. He extended his beautiful hand towards me, shimmering, inviting. His smile was cold, but as if in a daze, I began to move my hand towards his. Our fingertips brushed and my body began to feel so heavy and cold. If I could leave it behind for just a moment, I could join the dance. Ow! I looked down and saw the tabby digging a claw into my pants. He stopped as I looked at him. And when I looked back toward the park, the moonlit field stood empty. The second teller for this episode is new to the podcast. This is Rona Leventhal. She hails from the East Coast of the U.S. and has been sharing her passion for the power of story for nearly three decades, putting laughter in the belly and smiles in the hearts of listeners. She also knows how to send a chill along the spine, as this is her story, Woman in Grey. This story takes place at the changing of the seasons, 
You see, summer had passed away in this small Alabama town, and, well, fall was on its deathbed, too. The leaves had left the trees bare and gray, and on certain days the wind would whip around the corner, slapping you on the face if you turned in just the right direction, leaving no doubt in people's minds that winter was just around the corner. People started spending more and more time inside, and, more importantly, people started spending their evenings around the potbelly stove in the back of Ed McCusker's general store. Every year they spent every evening from the first signs of winter to when the leaves started popping out of the trees sitting around that stove, and they drink hot tea and hot milk and, well, even hot toddies sometimes, and they'd sit around and they'd shoot the breeze and tell stories. You see, the fire warmed the body, the drink warmed the belly, and the stories warmed the heart. And a lot of the stories that were told were about travelers that had come through that town. Hey, uh, you remember that guy, uh, you know, the one, uh, the one with the cats? Oh, yeah, I remember him. We called him Feline Fred. Yeah, yeah, that was the one. He was a good soul, all right, taking all those stray cats in. Well, he had stray cats everywhere. He had cats in his pocket, cats in his sack, cats in his jacket. Oh, yeah, and you remember that widow woman toting five kids behind her? Well, poor thing, she didn't know where she was going to stay from night to night. Oh, yeah, I remember her, but wooey, could she tell a good story? I think that's what saved her. She told such good stories that everybody wanted her to stay with them. Well, that's just the way it was in that small Alabama town. It was one of those nights at the cusp of winter. People had gathered around the stove all night, and now it was time to put on their jackets, warm themselves one last time in front of that fire before they braced themselves for the cold outside. And they all trailed out towards the door. Good night, Ed. Good night, Ed. Good night, Ed. Good night, folks. See you tomorrow. Well, Ed shut the door, and soon the bell on the door stopped ringing. Ed just stood there for a minute. This was his favorite time of the day, a time where he could just be alone with his own thoughts. Ed went about his business closing up shop, putting some wood in the fire, stocking the shelves, counting his money. He was behind the counter squatting down when he heard the bell on the door ringing. Well, he thought that was a little strange, but... Every now and then, someone came back to get something they had forgotten. But when he stood up, he saw standing in front of the counter by the doorway a young woman he had never seen before. She was wearing a gray dress, and her skin was as pale to match. Her hair was all disheveled, and she had dirt on her face, and Ed couldn't help but thinking, well, she has a kind face, all right, but it's too bad she doesn't take better care of herself. Well, Ed walked over to the counter on the other side. Good evening, ma'am. You know, you might want to think about putting on a jacket the next time you go out. It's only going to get colder from here on out, you know. But the woman didn't say anything. She just stared at Ed and she raised her hand towards the milk case behind him. Ed got a bottle of milk and put it on the counter. That'll be two dollars, ma'am. But the woman just took that bottle of milk, put it into the crux of her arm, and went out of the store without paying without saying a thing. Ed strained his neck as he looked out the window, watching her disappear down the road. Ed didn't know what to make of it. Things just didn't happen like that in that small Alabama town. But Ed didn't have the heart to go chasing after her. He figured if she needed the milk that badly, well, he would just chalk it up to a loss. Ed closed up the shop and started on down the road towards home. But there was something scratching at the back of his mind, 
about that woman. Something wasn't right. But when I got back home and his kids jumped into his arms and he sat down at dinner with his family, he forgot all about her. Well, the next day came and went, and in the evening, people told some good stories. But eventually, it was that time, and people put on their jackets and started trailing out the door. Good night, everybody. See you tomorrow. Ed closed the door behind him, and the bell on the door stopped ringing. Ed started about his business, closing up shop, as he always did, and he was kind of surprised to hear the bell on the door ringing again. And when he looked up, sure enough, there was that same young woman with that same gray dress and her skin as pale as the sky at dusk. He walked over to her behind the counter. Good evening, ma'am. I can see that you didn't take my advice about a coat, but you know... They say it's going to snow tomorrow night, and you better be careful. It might catch cold or something. But the woman didn't say anything. She just stared at Ed and raised her arm and pointed in the direction of the milk case. Well, Ed got a bottle of milk out and put it on the counter. That'll be two dollars, ma'am. But the woman took that bottle and put it into the crux of her arm and went out the door without saying a thing. Well, Ed ran out from behind the counter and out the door and stood in the middle of the road as he watched her slip out of sight. But this time, Ed couldn't shake the thought of her out of his mind. And after he closed up shop before he went home, he went to pay a visit to his best buddies, Tyler and Jim. And he told him everything that had happened, and Tyler said, I tell you what, Ed, tomorrow night, when all the rest of the people leave, we'll just hang in the back of the store by the stove. And if that woman comes in again, well, we'll just take a little stroll behind her, see where she's staying, maybe even get some of your money back. Well, the next night rolled around and closing time came and went and all the people left, all except Tyler and Jim, who sat in the back of the store by the potbelly stove and waited. Ed went about his business closing up shop and, sure enough, just like clockwork, in she came and stood in front of the counter wearing that same gray dress and her skin as pale as a sunless day in winter, her hair all messed up and the dirt still on her face. Ed walked behind the counter and stood in front of her. Good evening, ma'am. I can see that you didn't listen to me about the jacket again. And you can see I was right. It's snowing pretty good out there. Well, uh, what can I do for you? The woman raised her arm and pointed to the milk case behind Ed. Ed went and got another bottle of milk and put it on the counter. That will be two dollars, ma'am. The woman took the bottle and left the store. Tyler and Jim came to the front. Ed threw on his jacket, locked up the store, and the three of them followed the woman down the road. Now, they didn't have to worry about taking a little stroll behind her because she was moving so quickly and the snow beneath their feet was so slippery that they had a hard time keeping up with her. She took a left by the big yellow house, and as they rounded the corner, they saw her turning onto the well-worn path that led through the cemetery. They followed her with their eyes as she walked up the hillside and disappeared over the top of the ridge. When they got to the top, they looked out to where they thought she should have been and saw nothing. They stood there without saying a word in the white, dark night. And then Tyler said, Hey, fellas, look, on the ground. Ed looked to where he was pointing. What, Tyler, what are you talking about? I don't see anything but our own footprints. That's right, our footprints. The footprints of three men. 
I don't see any footprints of a woman, do you? Well, you got a good point there, Tyler. Hey, look! There's a new grave right there in front of us. The three men squatted in front of the tombstone. Young woman, just 20 years old, died of pneumonia, and a young baby with her. Together forever in eternity. And they stayed there staring at the gravestone, thinking about the story that it told, letting the silence fall over them like a blanket. You know what type of silence I'm talking about. The silence of a first snow. A silence that stops anyone from saying anything. A silence that deadens even the sound of silence itself. A mystery. An endlessness. Then bursting through the silence like a train whistle in the night, the cry of a baby shot through the earth. The three men jumped to their feet. Tyler, Jim, go get shovels. I'll stay here. And Ed watched as the men ran down the hillside. He paced back and forth in front of the new grave, listening to the whimpering sound coming from beneath the earth, not wanting to know what they would find. He'd have been the first one to admit that he would rather have been anywhere but right there at that moment. As soon as Tyler and Jim came back, they got to work, digging up that grave, one shovelful at a time. They dug and dug and dug until, thump, one of the shovels hit the top of the coffin. They worked quickly now, until there was just a thin layer of dirt on the lid. Ed brushed away the rest of the dirt, and then he reached over and put his hand on the lip of the cover, and he opened up that coffin. Their eyes grew big, the blood ran out of their faces, for in that coffin was the same young woman wearing the same gray dress and her skin as pale to match. Her hair was all disheveled, the dirt was on her face, and in the crux of her arm there was a baby, a baby that was alive and barely making any sound. Ed reached down to grab the baby, and that's when they saw it. If it wasn't enough that the woman was lying there in the coffin before them, if it wasn't enough that the baby was still alive, then what they saw next made their soul shiver. For towards the bottom of the coffin, by her feet, were three empty milk bottles, the same milk bottles that came from Ed's store. Ed picked that baby up and held her in his arms and looked into her eyes. And, well... You know what they say about the eyes. They're the windows to the soul. And Ed knew right then that this soul still belonged on this earth. Well, Ed took that baby home and he and his wife nursed her back to health and found a good home for her. And the people of that small Alabama town, well, they now had a new story to tell about another traveler who came through town. Only this one never left. And the people are just going to have to believe Ed and his buddies about what happened that night. Because no one, not even Ed, ever saw the woman in gray again. Thank you for listening to this Story Story podcast. Show the love. Find Valentina Ortiz and Rona Leventhal on the internet. Tell them you heard them on the podcast and now want to hear them tell more stories. You can find me and the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Story Story Podcast or Rachel Ann Harding. The beautiful brains behind the fairy tale sponsor is Katie Knutson. The inspiration for the true fairy tale was a story seed from Laura Packer. 
You can find her lovely story and writing prompts by looking her up on social media. Check out the ads for the fairy tale sponsors and let me know the favorite story you have heard or the favorite stories of your childhood. Who knows? Maybe you'll hear them here soon. This podcast is made possible by patrons like you. If you would like to become a supporter of the podcast or discover sponsorship opportunities, you can find links on storystorypodcast.com. If it isn't in the cards to support the podcast right now, no worries. Perhaps you'd be willing to go write a review on iTunes, which helps other story lovers find and enjoy the podcast. Head over to the website and join the mailing list for hidden goodies. And if you tune in, you will hear more stories next week. But until then, live happily ever after. Mary Kate opened up the door, and there on the doorstep, wrapped in his own blanket, was her baby. And to this day, Anansi spins webs so that he can catch the flea, the fly, and the moth that got away. If you go down to the lake on a clear day, when the water lies as calm as a sheet of glass, you can still see the rooftops of the castle glittering in the sunlight. And if you listen really closely, you can even hear the festive music from the royal court. Did you know that all the patrons of the podcast have the fashion sense of a 19th century boy? <laughs> Doesn't make sense. Ah!